folks thanks for tuning in to another week of coming up next thanks for the stream or the download and uh, hopefully thank you for the subscription to coming up next if you're not already subscribed you can go to comingupnext.com.au to find all the links to your itunes or stitcher or podbean whatever you listen to this through and uh, there'll be a button on that portal that you can hit subscribe to and that will be the easiest way to keep up to date with the ramble madness uh, that is coming up next. You'll also find the previous 134 episodes of the show and uh, big thanks to my guest last week, Lulu McClatchy. Um, you know, just some incredible uh, insights and, and stories about, you know, her, uh, her career performing at Madonna's party, becoming friends with uh, Elton John and supporting him on tour um, and taking Super Girly to just some crazy stratospheres. Um, if you haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't, was the word I was trying to get out there, had a chance to listen to that. Last week's episode 134, find it at comingupnext.com.au. Grace Queerly, my guest this week. Um... A little uh, first, I guess, for the podcast for coming up next. Uh, Grace uh, has worked for almost 10 years as a, as a model uh, all over the world, in Australia, in, uh, in the UK, all over the US. Um, you know, she's touched the holy grail that is uh, Victoria's Secret, as we uh, will discover through this podcast, but she has come uh, to this interview with a very raw and a very open and honest approach to what the life of being a model is. Um, so we get into that, we get into all the usual kind of stuff as well, and we're going to get into it right now. Have you always wanted to be an actor as well as a model? I did acting first. So when I was younger, I did St. Martin's Youth Theatre from about the ages of eight to, I think it was 15 maybe. And that was amazing. But that was my whole world. When I was towards the end, I was doing um, two productions. One was Motor Mouth and Suck Face, an apocalyptic love story, which was amazing. <laughs> it was written by the director of the school for, sort of for us um, and another production as well. But it meant that I was in year 10... Was it year 10? Year 9 or year 10? And I was, would have been year 9. And I was working until 10pm at night, sort of doing it every day of the week. Sort of, it was my whole world. And then just kind of went, a few things happened and I went, oh, I don't think this is for me. And I stopped. And then got into modelling. And just did modelling from about, was the end of year 11 until now so I just stopped speaking and doing the rest of it without speaking it's like we can't trust you to speak we'll dub you over with someone else um and then through modeling I got an audition for Mad Max because anytime pretty is in the role they'll generally give it to modeling agencies as well and say is there anyone that you know that can kind of act right and I was put up with it with a few other people and um got through to the last round I got flown up to Sydney to sort of do an acting intensive workshop for the weekend 
and it was me I was going for the same role as Margot Robbie so it was two of us were up there with two younger actors going for a different role and then um, Abby Lee Kershaw turned up who's a model and got one of the roles and I was sort of shocked like I didn't think because I thought that I just acting wasn't for me and then all of a sudden I was doing this and I was like oh okay and then that saying um Nikki Barrett was the casting director and put me up for a whole heap of roles like Wolverine but like going for the lead and I was like I'm I'm not an actor I'm a model (laughs) I'm an actor I'm not an actor okay and then all of a sudden I thought oh maybe there's something to this yeah and sort of did a class 16 street and did two classes and then just um yeah apply for the part-time program and now I'm obsessed with acting again so sort of, it sort of went back and forth. Like acting was my obsession, then sort of fell out of it, and then now it's my obsession again. Right. Yeah. So it's sort of what, like a eight-year foray mm. into the world of modelling. Which I completely appreciate. Like I think I've lived overseas and travelled with it, and it's really made me... I mean, I sort of had to grow up anyway to do... Uh, as a sort of only child, I was already quite mature, but doing this instead of living by myself and just having to be an adult and, you know, run modeling. You, you, you are your own business. Same as acting, you know, it's, um, you have to work out what your image is, especially these days with Instagram. But when I was starting Instagram, wasn't really a thing, but you just have to learn how to do all that really quickly. Mm. And so I, I think that maturity and things really helped with acting and also cameras are my best friend. You know, I've had them shoved in my face for years that I'm completely fine with it. Yeah. Well, I think that's one sort of leg up that you, I guess, have. I had a, um, uh, I was going back over uh, some of my old interviews and I remember speaking to someone who had, you know, she'd out of high school gone and gotten a lot of experience working on film sets and TV sets. And then she started dating someone who'd gone to the VCA and whilst he had all the technical kind of skills, he his onset ability was quite um, uh, the, the skills were were not up to the same standard because he just had there's no accounting for real life experience, I suppose. Yeah, completely. And we'd done a lot of mostly stage stuff at in the part time program. We got around to doing film, and a film was like a camera was shoved in our face, still close up, and so we're watching everyone's reactions. And then everyone was blinking their ass off and, you know, sort of just freaking out and just sort of going pale with the camera in their face. And I was like, it's just a camera. This is the easy part. This is the easy part. I'm like, yeah. I love you. You're great. <laughs> um, but I think the flip side can also be that if you do some models, become self-conscious or you, you start modeling in front of it rather than right. being open to revealing yeah, yourself yeah. and doing all that sort of thing. Yeah. It's another layer mm. to strip away. Where did you grow up? Melbourne, my Melbourne gal. Uh, so I grew up north side, sort of Carlton, Fitzroy, and went to University High School. Where, where is your, where's your family from? From Melbourne, too. From Melbourne. Yeah, so born and raised around here. My parents sort of from the suburbs. Um, and yeah, but they've always... I spent quite a bit of time overseas as well with modelling and things like that and did exchange when I was 15, which was interesting, in France. Go on. Um, it was just like I was there for four or five months. I learned French, so that was you know check. Did that, yeah. but it was a weird experience for me because also like I, I obviously went over there and didn't have language and sort of my brain. I'd been raised that that was my asset and that's how I made friends. And I deal with that, and all of a sudden that was stripped away from me, and I was just 
I didn't know how to speak and I didn't know how to sort of communicate with anyone. Uh, So it was a really good experience because it was so difficult. I just sort of didn't have friends for four months. Mm. I was like, okay, it's all right. Is there something else to learn from? And this was around the time you started modeling? No, I started modeling just after that. So about a year or so afterwards, I had been scouted just before that. So I was scouted at Camberwell Market. So someone came up to me from Vivian's model management. Maggie was my agent for a while um, and offered me a modeling. She sort of gave me a card and said, have you thought about modeling? And I said, oh. What were you doing at Camberwell Market? Just shopping. Oh, you were shopping. Just okay. shopping. It's such a classic scouting story. I was just shopping and this model you know, came up to me. Um, <laughs> and I was with my younger cousin and she was sort of like, well, why didn't I get a card? So I'm like, oh, yeah. sorry. Um, but I'd first been scouted when I was 12. I was having dinner with my dad and the team from L'Oreal were having their Christmas dinner or something, lunch next to us, and came over and offered me, they said, we, we love your hair colour, we love you, would you be interested in modelling? And my dad sort of went, no, she is not modelling, she's 12 years old. <laughs> um, and I went, oh, looking good today, sort of thing. <laughs> and my parents had said, 16, you've got to wait until you're 16. Right. Which is completely fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so I'd been scouted and I'd said, I'm about to go to France. I went to France and I lived in a hotel that had their own pastry fridge and cheese fridge. So I came back about 10 kilos heavier than I'd left, which I think is a successful trip to France. <laughs> um, and I sort of just went, Oh, I don't think I can model with this. Um, even though I didn't quite understand, you don't understand weight and uh, modeling is just such a new world with all those things. Everything that you thought was fine all of a sudden isn't fine, which is quite a lot to deal with when you're 16. What do you mean? Well, I had to, so I sort of got to a point where I was like, oh yeah, I look like a, you know, I'm skinny. You always think that they were skinny and they were fat people. But then you learn that there's a lot more in between that with modeling. So I, I went and um, went to Chadston and did this competition because I emailed the agent who'd sent me the card and she said, there's this competition on called Ford Supermodel of the World. Would you be interested in coming and trying out for it. And I was like, what? This is just so my parents are not in this world at all. They're academics. They're very, you know, that sort of, that's what is for me doing well in school was what got me praise. Um, It was never my looks or anything. So I went to this competition. There was this big runway set up in the middle of Chadston. And I had to sort of walk down the runway. I had no idea what I was doing, just walking and sort of walked back. Some photos were taken of me. There was an American agency called Ford there. And then um, afterwards, people from my agents, the agency came up to my mum and I and said, Grace is into the finals. I highly recommend she comes back tomorrow. There's a very good chance for her. And I just had no idea what was going on. My mum couldn't make it, but my best friend dressed me because she was more stylish than I was. <laughs> she put me in a little blazer thing. And um, yeah, and I did it. And then we were all up on the stage with this, this beautiful woman I remember was next to me your young girl and I was like and I was going to my friend like she's gonna win she's gonna win like the winner is Grace Queerly and I was so shocked I just had no idea like this I just thrown into this world that I didn't know about and so I was a finalist for Melbourne um, and then the runner-up and the finalists from each capital city their photos were sent back to New York and New York and Ford picked the winner and they kept saying to me you've got this but you've got a tone up which is their favorite word tone up right and I was 15 like I was 15 I had no idea I think I just turned 16 it would mean 16 so I have no idea what that means 
<laughs> you just got to, you've got to tone up. And I was like, ah, okay. It's just like, what? Yeah, exactly. What is, what is toning? Which just meant lose weight, but they felt they couldn't say that. Right. It's the politically correct. Yeah. And then I had things, so I was signed with my agency and I got to do lots of photo shoots, which was great for my book. Cause usually you have to pay for that, but I got it all for free. Cause I was the winner of the Ford Super of the world. Um, <laughs> and I was going off to Brazil to represent Australia. So I had about, I don't know, I think it was maybe two months to tone up. <laughs> and I was told, my, my agent once called me and said, so you're just running and eating vegetables, right? I was like, yeah, yeah like mid-run going, yes, yep, that's all, that's all I'm doing. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a weird thing because I didn't really have the, so my parents didn't really know what to do because they were just like, oh, do you want to do this? Like, and I'm going, well, I want to be a model. Like, you know, you want, I want to be that girl in the magazine because at that age, it's sort of like, yeah, why not? Let's do this. But I think I just, what I call gymorexic, mm. <laughs> when you become so obsessed with going to the gym. So it wasn't that I wasn't eating. It's more that I was doing, if I didn't have, didn't work out for three hours, I'd have an anxiety attack. Right. Three hours a day. So just because I feel like I wasn't doing enough, I needed to be doing more. Um, and so that was just a really confronting sort of change where you, yeah, you, when I think when you're a kid, or at least I did, I thought of skinny and fat. And then all of a sudden your hips are too wide. This isn't toned enough. This isn't enough. And then all of a sudden you think that you're not enough. So I sort of became obsessed with trying to get that to fit into what their idea of what I should be. Um, and then, yeah, I went across to Brazil. My mum came with me, luckily. I flew, Emirates was sponsoring it. So I flew from Melbourne via Dubai to Sao Paulo. The wrong way to Seems go like around. like a long way around. So it's 32 hours to get around right. and then start a modeling competition the next day. So for a week, um, I ended up being a finalist. And then mum and I went to an island for a week and just hung out. And that was sort of the start of the modeling world. Mm. Which was quite a, yeah, it was a... Interesting way to start because it was very international. You know, I was known as Australia for a week. Where's Australia? Where's Australia? I'm like, here I am. It's me, <laughs> Australia. Um, yeah, so it was a bit confronting. But it just, then it just changed my world. Then all of a sudden I was Grace the model. Yeah. And you were gracing covers everywhere. Exactly. No, mm. no. Uh, do you remember... Uh, the first time that you were in front of a camera or uh, the first time that you sort of had that experience of, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't really know how to compa- compact, that's what I'm looking for. I don't know how to um, compartmentalize it for mm. you. Um, but do you remember the first time that you did something in the world of modeling or performing arts? Yeah, I mean, for modeling, it, I had a few little shoots that I started with, with smaller photographers. My first one was at this little sort of, it wasn't even a park, it's more like a medium strip in Albert Park. And I was wearing bikinis. And people, what people do when you're shooting in public is they stop and watch. And I was 16. And I was going, is this not like getting changed in the car? Because everything you first experience is what you deem is normal. Um, but it would have been, I did a shoot with Cameron Grayson, who I've shot with lots of times since then. He's an incredible photographer. And I think it was really good to have a really good professional photographer under your wing. 
So the first shoot I did with him, though, it was shot on the rooftop of a building with direct sunlight in my eyes. So every shot you have to, and I've got blue eyes, which are really, my eyes are super sensitive to light. I have to close my eyes and he'd go three, two, one, I'd open them, he'd shoot. Close your eyes. Three, two, one, open them, shoot. So that was the entire shoot. Hmm. And he's like, you've got a really angry look. (laughs) I was like, it's direct sunlight. I'm just looking into direct sunlight. Um, He goes, no, I love it. I love it. It's going to be your thing. It's going to be this like sultry, angry look. I was like, oh, okay. Um, But everyone was... my mum my mom said to me on the way that shoot, she said, I think, because I don't know anything about this world, but I think that you should just be really kind to everyone. Be yourself. Be fun on set. Like, just be... Because I have a feeling that I presume this world will be about word of mouth. And she was completely right. So I, you know, got along with everyone on set, made, a, made sure that I was on my best behaviour or being the best grace that I could be. <laughs> and every job after that was word of mouth. So it was recommendations. And I was pretty natural in front of the camera. A lot of models sort of struggle with that, but I sort of dance in front of it, which probably came from my acting background of knowing how to put on that confidence bravado. And it's what my parents like too as well. Mm. Did you feel like there were any, you know, you talked about that kind of changing mindset about like in a probably negative way Mm. um, and becoming super... I guess, critical of yourself and super self-conscious. Was that like a gradual thing or did you notice that it's like probably at 16 or 17, you're not really aware Mm. of it, but looking back on it now, how did that kind of happen? I think I was pretty aware of it at the start when it started to happen, just of not feeling like I was enough, like being obsessed with with the losing the weight. And also I was keeping it from because I knew – that it wasn't healthy. So I was sort of keeping it from my family and my friends. I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing because it sort of continued with modeling. What I've established is that agencies are a lot worse than clients. So your agency will be like, this isn't right. You're not small enough. They're obsessed with measurements. And I'm six foot one and a bit. I'm very tall, which throws me out of proportion. It wasn't until I was in New York trying to find a New York agency and I met with IMG, who are the sort of godfather of of, um, modeling agencies. They're the biggest, the best, all the supermodels are with them. And it was so intimidating walking into the office space. And I was quite small then. And she said to me, I said, I know my hips are always an issue. She went, your hips are fine. She goes, you're very, very tall. Your hips are completely fine. You're in proportion. And it was sort of the first time it hit me that I was okay. It was a weird thing of, because I'm expected to have the same hip measurement as a work woman who's five foot ten. So a five foot ten model will still need to have at least thirty six inch hips, and they don't really increase that with your height. And um, one of my exes was sort of new. He sort of studied anatomy and things, and he's going, "They're your bones. It's just your bones. <laughs> You're fine." I was like, "No, I've got to get it down." Because uh, it's just been put into your head like over and over again. And so, yeah, this IMG woman saying to me, you're perfectly in proportion. It's just that you're taller. And what we do with our tall girls is we just promote them in fall, winter. So in uh, when you've got more layering and when it looks better when you're longer. I went, oh. And I remember that was a big click in my head of going, oh, I'm just tall. Right. Which I knew I was. Yeah. But because they'd been obsessed with my hips and getting them down and... It was like, oh, okay. 
And then I had a moment with Storm, which was my agency in London. I flew over to them. i just done uh, a month's training of Muay Thai in Thailand. I was the fittest I've ever been, like ridiculously fit. And looking back in the photos now, I was like, what was I worried about? Like, I looked great. <laughs> but when you're in it, you just don't see that. You see the other things because you've been conditioned to see the bad rather than the good. And I flew across to Germany and straight away my German agency said, your hips are too big. Um, we need to get them down. They sent me to three castings that day. I booked everyone. And then all of a sudden it wasn't an issue anymore because mm. they were making money. And I flew across to London and they never measured me once. It's one of the biggest agencies. They scouted Kate Moss and Naomi Campbell. And they didn't measure me once. They said, you look great. We love you. It's all good. And I was like, what about my hips? They go, we don't care. <laughs> so I think those sort of awakenings helped going, oh, okay. Also, I've just come to accept that I'm not going to be shorter. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I've come to accept the opposite. <laughs> exactly. So you just get to that point. I got a message on Instagram yesterday from a, um, a young lady, makes you feel old, um, asking me about modeling tips. She says, I've had it a few times. People messaging me saying, I'm a really tall model. They keep saying my hips are too big. Can you tell me your story? I just go, it's okay. You're tall. You're in proportion. Just sort of give back the lessons that I've learned. But it's, um, yeah, it's a weird world that you stop realizing what other people see so other people see you and go you're beautiful you're a model you're blah 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 and you just see all the bad um which makes it really unhealthy i think mm. obviously and i and i sort of got to a point where that was an image that i wanted to be portraying to other young girls was that obsessiveness of being smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and just you just have to get to a point where you're just sort of comfortable with where you are which is hard when you've been conditioned this way. It's not a bad job. I'm, I'm really putting it in a bad light, but um, yeah, the agencies can do that. It's a bit sad. Do you think it's about control? I just think it, it can be a narrow idea of what beauty is. Or I think it's for them, it's fear of not getting money. They need to book you on jobs. And it really comes down to, with the fashion world, it comes down to when they have the runway shows, um, usually it's gay designers. <laughs> and it's also easier to cut dresses for straight bodies that don't have hips, you know, womanly hips. Mm. So the runway shows, they have size zero, that classic size zero. So they're, um, they make those dresses. They need to find girls that fit those dresses who are usually 16-year-olds, who are usually really young teenagers. So they walk those shows and after the show, those clothes are put up on display for all the editor-in-chief, so all the, all, the, um, all the head of fashion from Vogue, Harper's Bazaar. They're allowed to come and look at these pieces. There'll be models standing there, fit models standing there um, wearing the outfits. They'll come and touch and prod and whatever, the, the girl who's no longer a woman but a mannequin. <laughs> and then they'll say, I want to shoot this one. So then they have to there's only one copy of it. They're allowed to shoot that. They take that away to shoot for Vogue. They need to find a girl that fits that. Um, but looks editorial, so usually taller. They get that, they get them to film that, uh, to shoot that for their magazine. And then other fashion houses see that as an ideal. And that, then that's the ideal of beauty. So it comes down to fitting into those stupid sample sizes. <laughs> so it's a hard thing to fix 
Um, I get really angry when there's things like in France, how they've brought in a new rule that models need to be a certain BMI or a certain size, and they're sort of putting the blame on the model. So the models need to go to a doctor and get a certificate of health before they're allowed to walk the fashion shows, which is a start, but I just get really infuriated that they're putting all that blame onto the girl. So this girl's been told that she needs to get to a certain size, and then all of a sudden it's her fault that she is that size. So it's not really fair to put that blame on her. Mm. Whereas it should be just... And I think the industry is starting to shift. You're seeing much more in America, more plus-size girls, which is, again, a label I have an issue with. But um, curvier women on magazine covers, Ashley Graham, she's incredible, of embracing more of a wide lens of what beauty is. Um, But I think it needs to come from just an ownership of who you are as well and going, this is me, I'm enough. And I'm really good in front of the camera. Mm. I'm very photogenic. <laughs> Shoot me and I'll show you sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how that being enough thing, you know, transcends. Yeah, because most people I imagine would struggle with that, whether they're a model or an actor or a doctor or a lawyer or mm. an accountant. You know, the garbage man, I'm sure, is like, what am, you know, well, maybe he's very happy. I don't know. <laughs> Um, probably happier than the rest of us but yeah. yeah well he doesn't feel a need to put himself in front of a camera or a yeah. microphone or whatever to feel a sense of validation um what was what was it like though when you did start to actually have this international career you know you've already spoken mm. about traveling to um, thailand and various parts of europe and america what was it like as a young adult to be kind of having this jet-setting international career yeah it was it was odd so I finished I came back from the competition at the end of year 11 so in that sort of holiday break I was off in Brazil came back and finished year 12 with the I wanted to finish year 12 and get a good eight I wanted to do study law so I was hitting the books whilst also doing a lot of work so I was the face of Melbourne Central and Jeans West and Peter Alexander like it was sort of a whirlwind few months because I'd come off as the finalist of Ford Supermodel <laughs> the World and how long ago was this? Uh, it was seven years ago Whew. Um, time flies yeah and so I was sort of it, it, but I was finishing year 12 and then all of a sudden I was Grace the Supermodel and it's an isolating thing because people don't really know what t- to do with me, especially Australians with the tall poppy syndrome thing. Quite that, literally in your case. Exactly. The very tall poppy syndrome uh, was I would bring myself down a bit. I would find myself when I started studying law saying I'm a model, but I study law um, or I just sort of shake it off. I would be running from exams to fashion fittings and then coming back and trying to finish my sack and was madness but then so when I finished year 12 I went straight to LA and yeah that was probably it was a sort of a bad time for the um body image uh, sort of mental health side of it I was very very small I should have gone straight to New York but I was in LA because I didn't think I was ready for New York I was ready for New York uh what does that mean Size-wise, so New York is kind of obviously the epicenter of the fashion world, but it's where all the big fashion houses are, it's where all the big magazines are, so you're usually a smaller size if you're working in New York. 
to LA, there are a lot of actors slash models. Mm, and not slashies, the other way around. Which is, yeah, exactly. A lot of models slash actors, which I realize I am now a slashy. But that's okay. I'll deal with that. Um, it means there's a lot of, like I remember I'd go to, you've got to be usually five foot nine is the short end of a model. And I'm too tall really for modeling. It should be about five foot nine to six foot. And I'd go to a lot of the castings and these girls would be writing on the little whiteboard where you walk in with five foot eight and a half, which means they're probably five foot eight or five foot seven. So they're, they're always in the shorter end because they're acting as well. And then there'd be me with like six foot smoking <laughs> in, which is shorter than I actually am, but I had to try and bring myself down a little bit. And um, yeah, so it was sort of strange going in. And I was small then. I was very small, but I booked a lot of work because I remember this one fabulous man I was working with went, oh, we heard that there was this six foot one size zero girl in town and I had to meet her. I was like, oh. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I got some really good work when I first arrived over there. But I was 18. I didn't know how to drive because I lived in inner Melbourne and didn't think I needed to learn how to drive. This was before Uber. So LA is ridiculous for getting around. It's so spread out. Uh, and I, would, I was working in greater Los Angeles, not Los Angeles. Like I'd have jobs in Malibu. I'd have jobs in San Diego. Which isn't LA. It's not close. No. It's but near, it wasn't quite San Diego. I'm sure there are long... cities between LA and San Diego. <laughs> yep. Around there, that's where Roxy and Billabong and all that are. Yeah. So for castings, I'd have to go out there. Right. Not even for a job, just for a casting. So I, they sort of said to me, You've got to look, this is going to cost you a bomb with taxis. I'm get you a driver, but it's, you know, a hundred plus dollars a day, whatever, you know. So it was like, you need to learn to drive. So I learned to drive in LA. Mm. Which means I am amazing at changing lanes. Like scarily good <laughs> I'm here and mom be like you're in the right I'm like oh okay you're in the right lane that was quick you can go a bit slower in Australia Grace <laughs> it's like no um, so mum poor mum tried to teach me on the opposite side of the road <laughs> trying to give me little lessons and then eventually I got um, a driving like driving um, teacher but so yeah I was sort of 18 mum went back to Australia living by myself negotiating my days because uh, you get We'd have you know four or five castings a day over there, buying all my food, doing my work. It was just sort of all of a sudden complete independence, but also just this sort of thing of trying to manage a career, working out whether I wanted that career because I was going to go back and finish uni. I'm an only child. I've got a half-sister who's much younger, very close relationship with my mum, and she missing her, missing home, all that sort of thing. So it was just... Yeah, it was a lot to sort of deal with at that age. Went across to New York for a bit and then came back to LA. Um, ended up going back home, doing another year of uni, getting into law. And then I went to London and Germany. So Germany for a few months and then London. And I was would have been 20 at this stage. And I had a partner in Australia. We were just doing long distance. And went across to... And Germany was great. I worked really well in Germany and London. And things were going really well. And all of a sudden, I kind of loved, I'm a bit of an independent person anyway. I kind of like my alone space, being mm. alone. So I didn't mind it. I sort of like, I'm like, this is good. I'm away from everything. I don't have to catch up with people. I can just do my own thing. And, um, but it, it's really isolating because it's at work. It's like acting, you know, you, you don't make work friends. You don't work. Whereas in Melbourne, I know everyone. You go to a shoot and you're likely to know someone on the shoot. London's too big. Occasionally there'd be double ups with makeup artists, but 
It's so isolating because you go to a job and then you leave the job and you're exhausted and you go to the gym <laughs> and then you come home and then you go to the gym and you go to the agency, you go to the casting. So it just becomes this sort of repetitive cycle, which you just, I struggle to make friends anyway. And I flew across to New York for a job um, with Coach, which is a very fancy brand. And I remember being very worried. I'd worked, I'd come I went home for two weeks and I came back and I had, I worked 12 days straight in four different countries. Wow. Mm. <laughs> Whilst moving home in London. And so I was on a roll. I was like, this is amazing. And I flew across to New York and I said to my agent, they're not expecting a Carly Kloss to walk in who's a supermodel, who's a twig. I'm like, they're not expecting that, are they? They're like, no, it's fine. Given you your measurements, no, it's fine. You're going to be fine. Mm. And I flew across to New York business class I was like yeah, damn yeah. girl like, look at me go <laughs> flew across got there as soon as I walked in went ah uh, this isn't right for me it was huge it was one of the biggest studios and it was like fancy I'm like this is the fanciest job they the catering table mm, it was good and I was like <laughs> I can't need any of that because I'm freaking out that I'm not once I get past the clothes like getting the clothes on I'm fine Mm. But it's that fear because I'm tall, I'm out of proportion, like three-quarter length pants aren't three-quarter lengths of me. They're shorts. They're shorts, yeah. exactly. You put a dress on and it's like, is this a top? <laughs> so once I'm past all that, I'm fine. But they had a tailor. They had that many um, people on set. They had a tailor. So it was, I'm like, oh, this would be all right. Try the clothes on. They're like, yeah, that's okay. Like try the shoes on. They had size nine shoes. I'm size 11. Which is on my comp, my details, on my comp card. And they, and there's, Bitchy ass stylist just kept being like, well, they're not going to fit, are they? And I am good at getting small shoes on. Like that would be my gold medal Olympic sport was getting small <laughs> shoes on. So I tried my little heart out. I was just yanking on them, trying all the different tricks. And that because they're two sizes too small. I hate that. Stylist go, can you just make it work? It's like physics. No, nah, can't make it work. <laughs> Bigger mass getting into a smaller mass. And... Yeah, they kept fart-assing around with my makeup going, no, we want her to look more natural, more natural, blah, 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 blah. For about four to five hours, I was in hair and makeup coming out. They were shooting the boy. And then I got a call from my London agency and they said, honey, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. They keep messing around with my makeup and I'm fine. They went, oh, they've dropped you from the job. So I'm still in set. No one said anything to me. I'm just getting my makeup done. I went, it was a two-day shoot in New York. I went, well, what? Like, yeah, honey, there's something wrong with the shoes. It's like, yeah, they're too size. It's not my fault the two size is too small. They're like, oh, okay, it's all right. Um, are you okay to leave set? It's like, I'm like, what are you going to do if I'm not? But thank you. Um, yeah, I'm okay to leave set. So I walked out and I went up to the sort of cast of the artistic director and I said, well, um, I just got to call for my agency. And she goes, oh, great, honey. Um, yeah, so nice to meet you. And I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll be going. <laughs> She went, oh, she goes, yeah, 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 I'll see you tomorrow. I said, I, are you going to see? She goes, well, oh, no, I'm sorry, I won't see you tomorrow, but, but have a nice day. <laughs> so I just went to the catering table and I stocked up on all the food. Like, they just had so much food there. I just walked out with this big pile of food. I'm like, adios, I'm out. <laughs> and walked out and then was stuck in um, New York for a day. There's worse places you could be stuck. Oh, my God. It was, it was raining, of course, of course. But it was fine. I went and got a tattoo. No, I went and got a piercing. Went right. to the Met. It was great. Okay. Had a great time. I mean, that's what you do on a day off in New York. Mm, yeah, exactly. 
And um, I was so I was sort of I was in a swing with work, even though this didn't work out. It was sort of like it was the pinnacle of when things were working out for me. And then I um, they got a call just before I just checked out of my hotel. I was about to leave. Got a call from my New York agency saying Victoria's Secret want to see you. They requested you. I went ah, what? Nope, nope, can't do it. Nope, can't do it. Like my hair's wet. I haven't got a spray tan. Like I'm not, nope, not ready. <laughs> Because I'd been so integrated that my body wasn't right. Right. Th- that my face was good. Like I was a really good model up here, but my body, I mean, Victoria's Secret, it's your body. Right. And it's your head a bit, but it's your body. Um, <laughs> I and was I was gonna like, say, no. so what does it mean if you get a call from Victoria's Secret? It's big. Like yeah. that is, a, and I, they, of course, they were always casting girls. I didn't realize later on, I found out that they'd actually gone through my London agency. So they'd found me in my London agency, asked who my New York agency was. So it was very specific which is a more likelihood of a chance of getting it, obviously. And I just went, nah, 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 can't do it, not going to do it. And I was... Um, is it the sort of thing where you, it's like you get one one chance and if you... Well, that's what I imagined right. was more... So I built it up in my head. That was one of my dream. It's every model's dream. Goal. Right, okay. But it was, you know, if you can do Victoria... Also because they, they not so much anymore, but back then they embraced more of a strong body type. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Why is it the Holy Grail? For so many well, people, I think it's a million dollar contract. Okay, if you get a contract, that's pretty good each year. Um, plus, you'd get extras from that, and once you get that, you kind of get supermodel status. Right. They're a supermodel builder. So once you get that, then you're more likely to get campaigns, other campaigns, and just gives you a good profile. You're unlikely to get an angel contract. What's an angel contract? <laughs> <laughs> so Victoria's Secret's angels. So they have they have quite a few now. Um who are the contracted models. So they're the ones who have to do six shoots a year. They always do the Victoria's Secrets fashion show. And then there are other girls who would just do a shoot. So they just go and do a one day and they have to cast for the show, for the big show. So, but just working for them is a huge thing. And that's what your agency can pump that. You can get other jobs from that. It's a big springboard. Uh, and it, you know, it's fun. And for me, it doesn't matter how tall you are for lingerie. Because there's no connector. It's just (laughs) separates, so it's fine. Uh, But I would just been so ingrained that I wasn't enough that I just freaked out and went, I can't do that, I can't do that. And I went to my agency and they're looking at me going, you look fine, just go and see them. Like, no, 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 not doing it. I'll go back to London, I'll go to the gym. It's a complete control thing for me. I'll control what I can do and then I'll go and see them. So I went back to London and just had a massive breakdown <laughs> of just, I went to a job in Germany and um, got dropped from the job. When I got there, it was quite a while after the, it was before, I think I'd been before the coach job. And I got there and I just knew it wasn't right. Once again, half a day, they sort of messed me around with hair and makeup and things to sort of divert it. Then all of a sudden they couldn't speak English and just speaking German at me. I'm like, you all speak English perfectly. I'm saying they're in the sort of outfit and they're just all talking to each other in German. And then I got dropped from the job and just it triggered something in me when I was on the way back to the hotel. I got the call. They once again didn't say anything to me. They just say, we'll see you tomorrow. And I was on the way and I got a call from my agent and they said, you've been dropped. What's going on? And in my head, you escalate, you go, my agency's going to drop me. I'm going to be sent back home. I'm going to, and I just went back to the hotel and had my first anxiety attack. This is a complete debilitating anxiety attack. Sort of lasts for 24 hours of just not being able to move or shaking, couldn't speak. Um, and 
my poor boyfriend at the time hadn't really been exposed much to those sort of things. I was going, this is what's happening. He's Googling going, I think you're having an anxiety. I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'm having an anxiety attack. Um, and was he in the biz? No. Right, no, no, no. What did he do? Uh, what was he doing at the time? God, he probably listened to this and get angry at me. <laughs> uh, he was doing, um, he was a pharmaceuticals rep for a little bit. Okay. Um, but now he has his own businesses and things, but didn't at the time. So very far removed from the world very of far show removed. business. Yes, yes. And I went back to London and just decided that this, I couldn't do this anymore. It was time to go home. I'll study law. I'll do that pathway with, you know, the expectation that I was meant to go back to New York, work in New York, see Victoria's Secrets. All my agency were like, yeah, Grace doing well. And then I call my home, my mother agency, which is like your main agency in Melbourne. And luckily one of my really close friends is my agent. And she said to me, she's like, as your agent, I'm going to tell you, you are about to, things are about to blow up for you. You need to stick it out. Because as your friend, I can hear you need to come home. So just come home. I'll deal with the rest. So thank God for her. And she, so she spoke to all my agents. I booked a trip to, um, I went to Italy and saw my friend for a bit, but then went to India and did a yoga teacher training job. Because that's what you do when you have a breakdown. You Mm -hmm. go to India and just find yourself, you know. Did you and read some Elizabeth Gilbert first? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Should have. I know Italy, India, just finished in Bali. <laughs> and went, came back home. But it, yeah, it was sort of a big eye-opener for me. That's when things shifted for me. That I needed to look after myself first and foremost. Because if you spend your whole life trying to fit into something else, which is what I was doing, I was obsessively trying to fit into what other people had made a mold for, um, then it ends up in a breakdown in my situation. So you just need, I I learned that I needed to just always sort of look after myself first and foremost and see what happened from that. Mm. How were your parents throughout this journey? My my dad is so removed from my modeling stuff. I remember once we're having dinner and I tried to show him some of my new work and he went, those photos would be good to show the kids in the trailer park, honey. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, he just does not care about modeling. Although then I find that he's put a modeling photo on his little background on his right. phone, which he'll show people. So he's just quietly proud. Yeah. But it's most of the time he's like, that's not you. You've got so much makeup on. That's not you. Yeah. Yes, dad, it's me. It's me. Um, but for him, academia, like for him... Studying, doing good and great, well in grades, like re- reading and learning, that's for him everything. My mum has had to deal with me. <laughs> so she's, she's an interesting one. She's, you know, very, very supportive of my modelling. Um, and we'll have, mum's got big goals for me. She's always been like, so you're going to be in the cover of Vogue? I'm like, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it comes out of a place of wanting me to do really well. Um, yeah, so she, she's, but she's been very, she has to deal with the, I'm having an anxiety attack. I have to come home. She's like, okay, honey, that's all right. Just mm. come home. It's fine. So, um, yeah, I've been very lucky to have that, but they just, both of them don't know the world of modeling. Just mm. fair enough. Yeah. I don't, um, not many people would aside from those models, in it. those in it. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, well, I don't imagine there's. I guess that kind of misconception that it's 
well, you're just a good-looking person and you get photographed for a living and how Mm. hard can that be? All you have to do is stand there and look good. Mm. But the reality is obviously much more intense and much more probably uh, as as wonderful as it can be. I'm sure it can also be equally um, difficult and uh, mentally, physically straining as you're kind of describing. Mm. They're athletes. Models are athletes. Like you need... Especially the Victoria's Secrets girls or girls who do mostly lingerie or swimwear, they train their bodies like athletes. They, you know, you watch what you're putting in. And most of them these days really, I mean, this is terrible, but it's not like, it's not anorexic chic anymore. You know, it's not the Kate Moss sort of look isn't necessarily that in. Like it's more about a strong body. So those girls, yeah, they're incredible at training themselves. And it's, a lot of the time you get a beautiful girl and put her in front of the camera. If she's not good at modeling, she's not going to look good. It, there's an art to it, to how you pose, how you do all, you know, look in front of the camera. And that's what I love about it. I love the creative aspect. I love working with amazing photographers and teams that go, this is our concept. Let's bring it to life. And I've got, um, Joe Duck is one of my favorite photographers and she picks themes for all her different shoots. I did one shoot with her where I was, um, I walked on set. It was about the second shoot I'd done with her. I walked on set and she goes, your agency's told you what you're doing, right? I went, oh, no, what? Because <laughs> you're a boy and you've got an identical twin. It's like, okay. She goes, and Monica's going to be half naked most of the time. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We had two days of shooting where I was really androgynous, pull hair pulled right back wearing a suit. That was the best. They're <laughs> so comfortable. Um, with this male model. Uh, who looked very similar to me and he was yeah, his hair pulled back and then there was this other chick who was just doled up big lips big hair sort of half naked half the time posing around the place and she had this whole backstory to it and we got to create that and it was amazing and she picks playlists that she plays and she'll send it to us beforehand go this is the mood um and it's you know allowed me to travel around the world i did a shoot for opi which is a nail polish brand their international campaign uh, and that was so much fun. It was German themed because they look kind of German. And we had pretzels and German beer on set, and it was like it was so much fun. And it was just such a the people I was working with. One of them was J Lo's. The stylist was J Lo's personal stylist, and she was great. One of the outfits she wanted to get me on into was tiny. And she goes, "Honey, J Lo's worn this. If I can get J Lo into it, I can get you into it." Hmm. I was like, "Ooh." So after like three layers of spanks and like pulling it on, we walked out and the photographer goes, not working for me. Can we do something else? And we're all like, <laughs> okay, all right. But yeah, there's so many incredible creative people out there who are so much fun to work with. And it's hard. Like some one shoot I did in Germany, one of the shots was on the front steps, the marble steps, middle of winter in Germany. The marble steps were frozen. I was wearing a mini skirt in high heels and I had to lean back on it. And she kept going, look, stop looking so cold. It's like, we'll do it inside. Do it next to a heater. <laughs> My favorite thing is when photographers say, can you get rid of the goosebumps? It's like, well, don't make me go into the water that's freezing. Um, so sort of leaning back on that and trying to pose. Uh, yeah. So it's, there's a whole world to it, but it's, um, the strange one. And I've, sort of saddens me how much it affects especially young women the images they see i wish they sort of they sort of knew a bit more about what goes into it rather than just yeah you're pretty and you're in front of a camera mm. when did social media and instagram start to play a role 
for you. Roll your eyes. <laughs> you talk about this idea earlier of it being a small business and to an extent up to that point, I guess it is like, you know, you've you got to spruik your wares, but then it's like suddenly, wow, you actually have direct access to the mm. world. It's completely changed it. Completely changed. Like when I started, which was 2000 and, end of 2009, 2010, I would carry my book around. So I had a book with printouts, you know, like those hard copy things that we used to have, books. Uh, so I would carry that around with me, with my comp car, which is a big photo of yourself with a few options in the back, different photos, new measurements. And I would have a pair of heels in my bag at all times to throw on when I needed to. Uh, you usually had a change of skirt or something. And you'd go and you'd meet people. And that was a huge asset for me as well was because it's I met so many different people over that time. You sit down and you sell yourself. You know, you know, hi, I'm Grace. Beautiful weather, isn't it? Yeah, it's lovely. And, and here are my books. Yeah, no, I have done this before. And, and you just you learn how to interact with people. Now I hardly ever have castings because they go through your social media presence. And you bring an iPad around and you say, don't look at it because I've looked at your stuff online anyway. So, yeah, you do have this direct access. And also, especially in Melbourne, it's become about the Instagram girl. It's become about agencies get calls with, well, we need to go with at least 10,000 followers. Yeah, right. And my agent would be like, do you want a redhead or a blonde or a brunette? Like what sort of, it's like an escort service. And you can just You can just buy Followers. And that's what a lot of girls do. A lot of mm-hmm. girls buy them, but then you've got to maintain it with buying likes. You can usually tell by how many comments. Right. Because comments are sort of the most genuine thing. Yeah, right. Of, you know, a girl that has 500,000 followers but gets three comments on yeah. her bikini photo. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't sound very genuine. And I think labels find, they discover that because they, they book the girl to get the followers, right? They book the girl and they're not getting the followers. They're like, oh, okay, there's something wrong here. And it's just cha- and it changed the game because, um, especially with the look that models wanted, not so much overseas, but very much so in Australia, it became what is liked and what is followed is the girl next door look. The more approachable, the more girl you see, the hot chick at the private school or whatever, you know, it's a bit more of a hot look <laughs> rather than like long and leggy and sort of elegant or anything like that. That's not really followed. So it's changed, you completely changed the, yeah, who was getting booked means that shorter girls are getting put on agencies, which isn't a problem as a six foot one and a bit <laughs> model, it was a bit of a problem. But um, <laughs> yeah, for those girls, I mean, it's fantastic. And people like Steph Claire Smith and those girls that have millions of followers, they have bought houses because of their followers. Mm. They get paid a month's mortgage in one post, which is ridiculous. I remember my mum said to me, show me one of these Instagram girls. And I showed her the one of her pages and she goes well just get your butt out more grace she's like they just got a bum you got, you got a good bum just put your bum out there more i was like are you gonna take the photos mum?" she's like well if you need me to i'll take the photos <laughs> like mum, it's not what you meant to say this is the new equivalent of being on vogue magazine i know exactly yeah. get your bum out um she's just like just do it and i was like oh no i feel weird uh so yeah it's changed it completely but also i mean i i booked a big job with Nivea doing a TV commercial in Germany. They flew me over for it for the, you know, a three-day shoot and flew me back. felt so glamorous. And Lots of work in Germany. Yeah, because I look German. But I'm not German. Mm. They quite like that. Uh, yes, yeah, a lot of work in Germany. And they have money. 
Mm. So they're pretty good with that stuff. But usually they go with their Nivea girls. They go with girls that have already worked for them. And they told me when I got there, they said the director really wanted me and the clients didn't necessarily. They're like, oh, let's go with someone we know. We're flying flying over from Australia. It's a risk. She goes, they're like, no, no, no. She's got a great personality. And we're showing them my dub smash like um, voiceover, you know, singing, being stupid. I had right. these two videos on Instagram where I was like being Hermione and that, like I was just being an idiot. And they're yeah. like, look, see, she's funny. And I booked the job off my Instagram profile of being a bit of a dork. Mm. So you can do the butt thing or you can do the Hermione thing, you know, and just go with the Hermione angle. But yeah, so it's completely changed the platform. It's changed, which makes sense. I had a huge argument with a big fashion house um, in Melbourne one night. I had had a few wines, but I went at him. It's <laughs> like, these Instagram girls don't know how to model. Not like us old people, you know, back no. in the day we used to know how to model. They know one angle and it's a selfie. Oh, is that old? <laughs> um, but I was saying, I'm like, you, you should book these girls for your, uh, send them your clothes to put on, send them, you know, do the internet stuff where they can still do the behind the scenes. But a campaign is about showing a certain look. And that's difficult. Difficult to portray a looks brand in your facial expressions and your body pose. Get a real model to do that. Yeah. I guess it's the equivalent of reality TV stars getting proper acting gigs. And also models getting acting gigs. You know, mm. I know Cara Delvine, you can say she's a good actor or not a good actor, whatever you think about her acting skills. But the truth is that she gets roles over other actors because she has millions of followers. It's free advertising. It makes complete sense from a marketing point of view. To hire the girl who's, yeah, she can do it. And she puts up one post about the movie and four points, you know, 40 million people see it. Why wouldn't you take mm. advantage of that from a business point of view? It just makes it difficult for us that don't have the 40 million, <laughs> 40 million people. Yeah, I guess it's where do you draw the line between art and commercial? Yes. That's always been the issue, hasn't it, though? It's been <laughs> yeah. sort of between money and creativity. Absolutely. And, yeah... And some people, they do that with their Instagram profiles. They're really good at showing their arty side. Mm. So good on them. But it's, it, it's added another dimension. You now need to be a digital marketer. <laughs> you need to be able to pitch yourself digitally as well. But I, yeah, I think it's a shame that you, we've lost that sort of human contact with castings and things like that. Because usually I'd go to a shoot. It's standard casting would be I'd give my book over. They'd have a look through. They'd have a look at my comp card, my measurements. Have a look at me and get me to take a few shots. To see how I model. So, and then usually I get to those jobs and they say, well, you're really photogenic. It always feels a bit of a backhanded compliment <laughs> of like, you look a lot better in the photos mm. than you do here. Like, I'm a model. That's what I, that's what I do. It's <laughs> my job. Yeah. <laughs> so you feel, it, it feels to me like you've become pretty, uh, well, you seem very open about your experiences you know, you're not kind of hiding behind anything or um, dressing it up to be something, the career to be something that it's not. Um, and you've also become an ambassador for a mental health mm. organization. Is is this something that you've felt to be quite important? Because I could imagine that some people might be a bit more cagey about exposing the reality of the career mm. or the life. I just always sort of believed honesty is the best practice with that, I think. Just because I feel like you take on, you take on a certain um, authority or something as a model, especially younger girls that look up to you. Go, oh, you're a model because you're so pretty. 
And yeah, I think it's really useful and important to be able to go, no, but I've, I've really struggled. I've had a lot of depression and anxiety, um, which, you know, I probably was genetically predispositioned to do that anyway. And it was probably just aggravated through environmental situations and circumstances. But if you can tell your story to someone and they can go, one, I've been through that, or I, you know, oh, I didn't know that, that was an aspect of the modeling world or something, then I think, why not, if you're willing to, to open up about it? Because it's, oh, life's hard. Like, we all feel so lonely. And I've gotten to points where I, before I went to India, I was in a really bad place. And when I got to India, I found it, and I don't know how I, I'm very impulsive. Like, I've <laughs> sort of just found this course and I went and did it. And it was in Kerala, which is in the south. And it wasn't even near, it was in this tiny little town, a few hours drive from Trivandrum, which is a small town already. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I, I'd missed, my flight was late. So someone went to pick me up, they didn't pick me up. I had a, um, a Cafe Patron, which I quite like, in my bag. Not allowed to drink, obviously, at the uh, school. I was going to have it afterwards, just bought it in duty free. <laughs> it smashed in my bag. Oh. So my, all my clothes were sticky, sticky and smelt like tequila. So I arrived four hours late for this thing, smelling of tequila. Poor teacher's like, we've got a lot of work to do with this one. <laughs> um, but I, when I met there, Camille, she was from Norway, had severe depression, of Norwegians though. She was a high executive, earning a lot of money. She continued to earn her salary for a year, even though she wasn't working because she had a mental health issue. Hmm. Oh, I love them. So she'd come to India and started doing this. But her and I would go on little walks at night and sit down and just talk about things. And the things that she would reveal to me about her issues, I was like, that's me. Like, I felt that. Of just that extreme feeling, extremely alone, that you had no way to escape, that everything was closing in on you pretty much and that this pain wasn't going to stop so I felt with those little chats that I was having with her I was starting to understand myself but also understanding that there were other people who were going through that would you feel I know I think it's worse in Australia but we don't talk about it you know, you go to your parties and you sort of talk about superficial things or it's like, you're a model. I used to always get, you're too pretty to be sad. Mm. People would be like, but you're, you've got everything. You're traveling around the world. I wish I could do that. So suddenly guilt was incorporated into it <laughs> of a guilt of, I can't, I'm too pretty to be sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I've got too many opportunities. And then it was a guilt thing of, I need to be trying harder. I'm not, a, you know, I, I should be enough. So I think just having these conversations with this woman was incredibly enlightening for me. And I sort of came back wanting to do more help with that mental health. I started a website, which I didn't finish. Um, I spent far too much money building. But yeah, just sort of opening up and just promising myself that I would talk about it. And after a few times talking about it, you realize that you're not going to vomit too much afterwards or get too sort of nervous. That The more people I spoke to about mental health issues, the more people opened up to me. And everyone's been affected by it. Everyone. In this modern day, you can't meet a single person who hasn't met someone who's had something going on. So I just feel like it's important to, yeah, put a light on the things that happen. Also, it makes you feel better. Because once again, you don't feel alone. It's alone. Because the people you have a conversation with, they're like, yeah, I'm really struggling too. So it's, uh, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't make it easier really as well. It's... Yeah, you still, I feel like you're still continually struggling with it. Well, I am, but it helps to talk about it. 
Mm. And I guess to make light of it in a way, not like that it's not a serious issue, but to understand the great cosmic joke, I guess, that is life. And that is every spectrum of it. Mm. Yeah. Because it should, if it was, if we had the same thing, you know, done to us physically, people would appreciate it or talk about it or try and help you or something. It's something, there's such a stigma around it. And I think if that stigma gets broken down, then it's going to help a whole heap of people. Because, um, you know, with like suicide prevention and everything like that, I think it just, if you had a, a, an environment where people could talk about it and could people could see that that beautiful girl on the front cover of the magazine has severe anxiety and she had to take Valium to get to do that shoot or whatever it was, then you see it's everywhere. I think that's, you know, the big thing with the Harvey Weinstein stuff happening with the celebrities and is that if you, if you do it from the people that people look up to, if they start opening up about things, then it has a trickle-down effect. Mm. So if you have a role of being a model, you know, I speak to my cousins or like family friends or something who are younger, yeah, if they realise that you can be pretty and sad, <laughs> then maybe they're going to be all open about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Such a ridiculous idea. Um, yeah. Mm. And you found your way back to acting. And I found my way back, exactly, so I can be myself. (laughs) What? I mean, that's another thing is Exchange Street um, of just working out who you are, pulling down those walls, um, knowing that that's an asset, that you feel things. That was a big thing is I feel like I had such a build-up sometimes and and you used to not have a creative outlet. Modeling is not a creative outlet for that. You're not – as much as you can, you know, be creative and things in that industry – if you're feeling really depressed and you're going to shoot Dolly or something like high perky, you're going to have to smile and jump around and be a perky little thing, <laughs> regardless of how you're feeling. You can't bring your own emotional state into the work yeah. with, with acting or with 16th Street acting. Um, yeah, so I think for me that was – I remember once I finished 16th Street, I sort of freaked out for a few months because I was like, I, I need something to – but I've – where's my outlet? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm very happy I found acting again. Mm. I think all my loved ones are very happy I found acting. Hmm. <laughs> you can go and be crazy over there, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever go back to that Victoria Secret casting? No. no, I didn't. After Germany and London, I sort of came back and did some uni and then ended up doing it at 16th Street. So I've been stuck here for two years, which my little gypsy feet freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Like, you've got to go. So this year I'm going to run away. Next year, 2018. Um, I don't think Victoria's Secret's a goal anymore. Catwoman's a goal now. Right. I want to play Catwoman. Mm. <laughs> well, now acting goals are my goal. Yeah. But I'm so fortunate to have... I think I'm fortunate to have modelling to jump across to it. Because you're more likely... It's unfortunate, but you, if you're pretty and if you've got a modelling background, you're more likely to be accepted into doors, you know, invited into meetings and spaces and meeting people that you might not otherwise. Mm. And it's just playing the game. Yeah, exactly. Just turn up the game. Yeah. Flaunt what you got, might as well, you know? Yeah. Work it. Yeah, so it's come, come full circle, hopefully. But it's going to continue to be hard. It's going to continue to be shit. It's going to be continue to be difficult at times. That's all right. It's That's fine. It's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. It's life. It's all right. Well, thank you so much, Grace, for gracing me with your 
That's okay. Stories. Thank you. Uh, I end every conversation with the same question. Mm-hmm. What makes you silly? What makes me silly? Loved ones. Just being around my loved ones usually makes me a complete dork and being silly. Especially my mother. I think laughter is a very good medicine. Mm. So I enjoy being a silly geek. That and Aretha Franklin. <laughs> Bust out some Aretha Franklin. <laughs> I'm going for it. Right. Mm. Were there a lot of mum jokes and Aretha Franklin over Christmas weekend? Just I spent I spent I went back to my mum's place um, for Christmas Eve and Christmas night, and I just we're, we're so silly together. It's great. She's like my big sister as well because we're so close. We both have the same tattoo, Beyond Love tattoo, and she's my best friend. So we just complete silly dorks together. You know, I give her wet willies and things. We're very mature. Very, very mature. She goes, stop it, Grace. Stop it. Um, so, yeah, she's my best friend and we're very, very silly together. Yeah. And I work with her as well. I do my part-time jobs with her. So it's great when I go up, I go upstairs and lie on the floor. and just, I want to lie here for a while. And she's like, Grace, you're the worst employer. <laughs> I know, but you love me. Uh, so my mother would be the answer to that. Right. It makes me very silly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Grace. Thank you. Thank you.